Thus far in our series on the church, we have seen that the church is the family of God and the body of Christ. And today we will see that the church is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now when you take these three metaphors together, you see that the church is Trinitarian, a family sustained by the love of the Father, a body shaped by the grace of Jesus Christ, and a temple structured by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In today's sermon, I will sketch out for us the ancient future story of the temple. I want you to see where the temple comes from, where it is right now, and where it's going according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for our purposes today, the sermon passage that you just heard from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 will simply serve as the hinge upon the rest of the story turns. We're going to look at the ancient temple, the present temple, and the future temple in the time we have together today. When God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, he planted a garden in Eden. That garden was a sanctuary, a sacred space for God and for man. When God formed the first man from the dust of the ground, he brought him into Eden and he set him in the garden. The garden was the first temple of God on earth and Adam was the first priest of God to stand in that temple and to serve there. And so now we see an image of God in the temple of God in the beginning. And God gave that man the ministry of taking care of and tending to this garden temple to see that that garden temple would grow and flourish and cover the whole earth. But when Adam and Eve sinned and fell from grace, they were driven out of the garden temple, out into exile, into death and to ruin. But God refused to give up on his dream to make his dwelling place with man. So time and time again in the history of the world, we see God making other attempts to plant a garden, to build a temple so that he can come and dwell among men. We see an example of this even in the building of the ark at the time of the flood. If you take a close look at the ark, you see a microcosm of the world because this vessel, this temple was lifted up above the watery chaos of the deep. It housed all the creatures of our God and King. God's image bearers were placed inside that temple and sealed in. That ark was the temple, the holy place, the sacred space that God used to save his image bearers and to spare his creation from utter death and destruction. We see God's desire to dwell among men later in the history when he commands the Hebrews to craft and build a tabernacle in the wasteland. That exodus out of Egypt marked a new beginning for the people of God. The tabernacle was a new garden temple in the midst of the desert. The tabernacle was designed and decorated to look like the garden of God, at least on the inside. And once again, God placed an image bearer inside that temple to represent himself to the people and to represent the people to himself. 
an image bearer whose presence would serve as a bridge or mediator between God and man, a priest who would present sacrifices and offerings for the people and to pray for them. Later on in the story, we see God's desire and dream for a more permanent dwelling place among man when he authorized David to design the temple and then authorized Solomon to build the temple that his father designed. No longer would God dwell in a tent of linen and post and travel about. His presence would dwell in a temple of cedar and stone, of gold and jewels. And like the tabernacle, the inside of this temple was designed and decorated to look like the garden of God. There was wooden furniture and golden decorations. There were images and icons of the creation. There were symbols of angels to defend God's holiness and light to scatter darkness Water to cleanse bodies, bread to feed souls, trees to give healing, fruit to give life, blood to forgive sins. There were tables that signified God's desire to eat and to drink with his people, to have fellowship with them at a table. And all of these sacramental reminders pointed back to the ancient garden temple, but also pointed forward, pointed ahead to the future garden temple. And when that temple was constructed and King Solomon offered his prayer and invited God to consecrate that temple, God came and dwelled among his people in it. The scriptures say that the glory of the Lord descended from heaven and filled that temple with his presence. But alas, even that permanent temple proved to be transient As it happened so many times before, man, through rebellion and pride and sin, ruined that relationship and ruined the temple, desecrated it. After division of the kingdom and the fall of kings, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple and abandoned it. That temple was stripped bare and looted. It was burned up in fire and torn down by serpent-like enemies of God and his people. And once again, the people of God found themselves naked and afraid, exiled and shamed without hope and without God in the world. And nevertheless, despite man's persistent rebellion and pride, God insisted on making his dwelling place among men. And so he sent prophets to his people to cast vision, to comfort his people, and to call them back home. The prophets saw the future of the temple of the Lord God. Isaiah the prophet saw a vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple where seraphim, burning angels, flew around and sang the Trisagion, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The train of his robe filled the sanctuary and the thresholds and pillars shook under the weight of his glory. The apostle John tells us that Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. And he heard the angelic creatures singing his praises. And because of that, Isaiah spoke of the glory of the Lord Jesus in the temple. 
Ezekiel the prophet saw a vision of this new garden temple of the Lord that was cosmic in size and scope. Out of the temple flowed the river of the water of life, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life flowing out from the throne of God through the temple, pouring out onto all flesh to renew and refresh and recreate the world. Haggai the prophet saw a vision of God's temple when God spoke his word to all of his people and asked, who among you, who among you saw Solomon's temple, saw the former glory of this house? And how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, be strong, be strong, all you people of the land, for my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, I will fill this house with glory, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And Zechariah the prophet saw the cross-cultural future of the temple of God when he said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Look, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear royal honor, and he shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both, and the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder, and those who are far off shall come and help build the temple of the Lord. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. The prophet saw the Lord Jesus Christ, the builder of the temple of the Holy Spirit, because the branch is none other than the Lord Jesus, the seed of David promised to come, our priestly king and kingly priest. The prophet saw that Jesus would come into the world and build God's temple with the help of people nearby and far away. That is, with the help of Jews and with the help of Gentiles, all together building the house of prayer for all the nations of the whole world. When Jesus came into the world, when the prophetic word became flesh, he tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. He brought his temple among us. In the incarnation, we see God's dream and desire to develop a more permanent dwelling place among men literally fleshed out. He has skin in the game. When God comes down from heaven in the flesh to dwell with man on earth, he proves just how serious he is about dwelling with us. He has not given up on his dream. He wants to dwell among men, not in a finite, tiny house made of lifeless cedar and stone, but he wants to dwell among men in a cosmic sanctuary made of living, breathing flesh and blood. So when Jesus comes into the world and goes to the temple at Jerusalem and he sees how the priests and the people have turned God's house of prayer for all nations into a marketplace for pilgrims, righteous anger wells up in his spirit. 
He makes a whip and he drives out the sellers and the traders and he sends them into exile spiritually just as he had driven Adam and Eve out from the garden temple in Eden. Just as he had sent Israel into exile from the land of milk and honey. Jesus even challenged the people and the priests of his day to destroy the temple and he would raise it in three days. Of course, they thought he meant the temple that their forefathers had taken nearly 50 years to build. But Jesus was referring to his own body, the true and better temple of God. And later on, when Jesus' disciples walking in the temple complex marveled at the beautiful construction and the decoration of the temple, Jesus told them that the days of that old man-made temple were numbered. That in the near future, within the next 40 years, within that generation, that man-made temple would be utterly destroyed. Not one stone would be left on another. Not long after the crucifixion and resurrection, after Jesus ascended into heaven, Stephen the martyr gave a defense for the faith to a crowd of hostile Jews. Among other things, he told the ancient future story of the temple, past, present, and future. He wanted his hearers to see where the temple comes from, to see where it is now, and to see where it is going according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he said, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness according to the pattern they had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it into the promised land with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for God. And yet, and yet... The Most High God does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me and what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things, says the Lord. In other words, the creation And created things cannot contain or confine or control the creator of heaven and earth. And because he targeted the idol of his people, because he targeted the temple and deconstructed their faith in the temple, Stephen was stoned to death and lost his life. Now, I imagine that it is at this point in the sermon that you're wondering, What in the world does this have to do with the church or with 1 Corinthians 3? What St. Paul says to the church, he says because of everything you just saw. When St. Paul calls the church the temple of the Holy Spirit, he has in mind the ancient future story of the temple. When he says, you are God's temple, he is calling you God's dwelling place with men on the earth. 
True, the church is not a garden of trees and flowers, of birds and fishes and creeping things. She's not a tent of linen and poles and cords, nor is she a temple of cedar and stone and gold and jewels. She's not an architectural marvel located on top of a holy hill in a holy city. The church is the living, breathing flesh and blood, body and soul sanctuary of the true and living God. The church Catholic is God's holy building constructed by his hand with living stones, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, washed by the water of baptism, fed holy communion at his table, structured with the word of God, indwelt by the spirit of Christ. The church Catholic, local and regional, national and global, is the center of worship Outside of this temple, there is no ordinary means of salvation. Outside this temple, there is no true worship of God in spirit and in truth. Outside this temple, there is no ordinary means of grace. God has determined in his desire and dream to dwell among men. And if sinners wish to meet with God, they must come into God's temple because that is where he dwells. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place and the people in which God dwells. The church temple is where we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, offer our gifts and sacrifices to give our sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that declare his name, the prayers of our hearts that declare his glory that allow us to seek God's face. The church temple is an outpost of heaven, a sign and seal of the true and better temple that is already not yet revealed. For here, here the temple of the Holy Spirit has no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see where we're going? Do you see the future of the temple of God? Do you see the new heaven and the new earth? the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God? Do you hear the loud voice from the throne of God speaking to you, speaking to his people, speaking to his temple, saying, look, 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 the house of the Lord, the holy sanctuary, the dwelling place of God is now with man. Look, but you will not see a temple in the city. Why? Because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Look, the divine temple dwells with us, and we will be his people, and the triune God himself will be with us as our God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be lamenting or grieving nor crying nor heartache nor pain anymore because the old things have passed away and the new things have come and we will see his face. We will see his face 
and his name will be on our foreheads, and night will be no more. For the Lord God will be our light, and we will reign forever and ever as the temple of God, the Holy Spirit. Look, he is making all things new. He is making all things new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Eternal God, mighty in power and incomprehensible majesty, whom the heaven of heavens cannot contain, much less the walls of temples made with hands. You have said that you would dwell in thick darkness, and yet you have been graciously pleased to promise your special presence wherever two or three of your faithful servants gather in your holy name to offer up their praises and their prayers to you. There is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps covenant and shows steadfast love to his servants who walk before him with all their heart. O Lord, you are building an exalted house, a cosmic temple, a place to dwell in forever. But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less the tiny and puny houses of worship that we have built. O Lord, may your eyes be opened day and night towards the temple of the Holy Spirit in this place and in all other places where people call on the name of the Lord Jesus. The sacred place where you have promised to set your holy name and may your ears be attentive to the prayers offered in your cosmic temple, the Church of Christ. Now arise, O Lord God, and go to your dwelling place and rest. Let your ministers be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness and grace. And let the face of the Anointed One your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, never ever turn away from us, but always and ever shine upon us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.